All right. Good morning, church. He is risen. I uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have to take it personally, but whenever I come up here, you just sit there. The kids come up. The cameras are up. People are taking pictures. I don't. I even wore a tie for you. Why are we gathering here today? Easter Sunday is the largest church gathering uh, of the year. Uh, and what is it? Why are we here? Is this just to see if we can set the Guinness record of largest gathering of pastels across the, the nation? You guys are looking good in your yellows and blues and, and pinks. I'm being a salmon today. Do you get it? Okay. Um, mom said, is it that, is, are you here because your mom said, if you come, I'll give you Easter basket later, right? You got to go to church first. And husbands, I'm talking to you too. Um, is it possible that it's just a, it's a nice part of our Easter tradition to go along with our Easter egg hunts and our glazed ham? Why are we here this morning? Let me tell you, none of those things, none of those things are central, I believe, to why we've gathered here this morning. The reason we're here is because Jesus is alive, amen? Because he's alive. Because he's alive. Because he is risen. You guys are so obedient. Uh, because, listen, if he's not alive, here, here's the reality. If Jesus isn't alive, if he has not risen from the dead, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he, he says, if Jesus isn't actually alive, he, he channels his, his inner Mr. T, and he says, I pity you fools. He, he says, if Jesus isn't alive, then this is just the biggest travesty of pastel gatherings ever known to man. Because we're under this roof today, helpless and hopeless and still dead in our sins. If Jesus isn't alive, we are the biggest suckers on the planet because we're worshiping somebody who's still six feet in the ground. But if Jesus is alive, oh, if Jesus is alive. And that's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here to celebrate. Instead of one 30-minute uh, sermon, we're going to kind of divide it up a little bit today where I'm going to talk a little bit, then we're going to sing a little bit. And I'm gonna, so that's why the band stayed up here. And during the singing, I'm going to slip into the back. I might grab the bongo drum and see if I can join the band. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But we want to start with this central question this morning. Who, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is, who is Jesus? I want to start with this <laughs> central question. Central question this morning. Who, they, oh, there it is. Okay. She is risen indeed. All right. Um, is, is, is he just, oh, Mother's Day is coming. Um, is, is he just this fictional character? Is Jesus just like Huckleberry Finn or Harry Potter or Captain Underpants? And I'm sorry if that ruins anything for any of you that thought one of those guys was real. Okay. Start to, Easter Bunny's not real either. Don't tell your kids. Okay. Um, is he just, the Muslims would say Jesus is just a prophet. Some people say maybe he is real, but these crazy followers of him spread these myths to make him some sort of spiritual superhero and a cultural revolutionary. Maybe it's like the Jehovah's Witnesses would say that he's just the firstborn, he's the first created being, but he is also created just like us, just a better version of us, like a newer iPhone with longer battery life than you and I. Or maybe like the Jewish, the non-Messianic Jewish people would say that, that Jesus was just this rogue rabbi who got a bunch of followers and led them off track of worshiping the one true Yahweh. You read the Bible and Jesus makes these crazy claims about who he is and what he had come to do. So either he is just this, this psychological crazy man or he's a pathological liar or maybe what he claimed to be about himself is true. So how do we answer this question? How, how do we know who Jesus is? On whose authority do we, do we establish this? 
Do we, I mean, we can't just look Jesus up on Instagram, right? We can't Google it. The millennials are like, is Jesus? That's not, there are a lot of false notions over the years of who Jesus is, but listen, it's not who you think he is. It's not who I think he is. It's not who scholars have claimed. It's not any other person, what they've claimed who Jesus to be. The only person who gets to tell us who Jesus is, is God himself. And the good news today is that God has revealed to us in his written word who this living word was. I want to show you this passage today in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Jesus is supreme. The word there means superior over all else. I'm a substitute teacher at K-Beach, and a weird new fad that the kids are doing these days is they take the supreme sticker, and they're sticking it on everything, on backpacks, on other kids' foreheads. I don't know what it's about, but they're hormonal sixth-grade weirdos. But what God is doing here in this passage, I believe Colossians 1 may lift Jesus higher than any other passage in the Bible. And God is putting the supreme sticker on Jesus. And the word supreme means superior to all else. That Jesus is above everything. So as I, as I read this passage, I want us to stand in awe. If you'd stand with me in reverence of the, the word of God that we're about to read together. Colossians chapter 1, this is what he has to say about Jesus Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Think about that for a second. What what he's saying is, you want to know what God looks like? You look at Jesus. How do we know what the sun looks like? It's the light that shines. That's how we see. That's how we know what the sun. And Jesus, Hebrew says, is the radiance of God's glory. You want to know what our God looks like? Look at Jesus in the Gospels. And then he says he has existed before anything else, before anything was created and is supreme, is superior to all creation. Why is he superior to all creation? Look at verse 16. For through him, God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. So he made physical creation. He also made spiritual creation. Everything was created through him and for him. The reason he's superior to everything is because he made it and it was intended for his glory to magnify him, to point everything toward Jesus. And then verse 17, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. The reason the sun came up today, even though we can't see it with the clouds, is because Jesus made it rise. He's the one that holds things in order. He holds all of creation together. And the reason, see, if if Jesus stopped thinking about you for a second, you would cease to exist. Jesus is supreme over all creation, but not just the first creation, because we went rogue, didn't we? We went off the ranch with our sin. So then he started a new creation, and he says he's superior to that too. Verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. He's not just first over the first creation. He's first over the new creation. He's the head of this church. He's the king. I'm not the king. No one else is the king. Jesus is the head of this church, and he's first born from the dead. And through him, all things will rise. Verse 19, says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses have it wrong. He's not just the first created being. He is God. He's the fullness of God. There is no part of God that's not a part of Jesus. And then what did he do? Verse 20. Through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. In a world of chaos and brokenness and destruction, Jesus came and through his finished work on the cross that we just celebrated on Friday, he brought wholeness to our brokenness. He, re- he restored what was, what was wayward. He brought peace to what was, what was separated from God. 
Jesus, through his finished work on the cross, is throwing death into reverse. Amen? He's the king of the universe. He's superior to everything. That's why we worship him. For our little show and tell this morning. You guys, that's my fiance. Her name, oh yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah. Take pictures of the kids, clap for Jill, and then just throw me the bones. That's my fiance. She, she's a nurse, which is great for hip boy. Um, she, she is beautiful. Uh, she loves Jesus. She's loyal. She's kind. That, that's my fiance. She likes jello cake and cheese. Not usually together, I don't think. Um, has a weird obsession with ducks. And uh, that's my fiance. And you guys, she likes me. And don't tell anybody, but she agreed to marry me. That's what fiance means. Um, and did I mention that's my fiance? Did I say that? Now listen, she's not just a fiance, she's my fiance. There, there, this is not just an objective fact to me, like that I know that she's engaged or betrothed to someone. It's, this is personal and this is wonderful. <laughs> there are a lot of fiancés in the world. That one's mine. See, I was worried there wouldn't be any material after being, not being a bachelor anymore. Um, Jesus, Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But, and he's the king. But he's not just a king. This is not just an objective fact that somewhere in some kingdom he's reigning. He's not just a king. That's my king. I came to know Jesus at the age of six. Um, my story begins just like anyone else's. In the backseat of my parents' station wagon and a dr- bank drive through window. I know, so cliche. For some reason, as I was sitting in the back there contemplating the mortality of my, my own soul and whether or not I'd get a sucker, I declared to my mom that, that I wanted to ask Jesus in my heart. So right then and there, we prayed, and he became my king. Now, in this, in this relationship with Jesus, it's, it's been a long road, right? Through Sparks, through Bible school. We, we've walked a long time together. And listen, it's been wonderful, but it's been messy, and it's been complicated. There, there have been times in my life where, where my walk with Jesus was rich and deep. When I was at Bible school and I'm learning all these new truths about Jesus and I'm understanding him in the Bible like I've never seen him before, I am geeked about Jesus. And I'm going everywhere and telling everyone I know about him. I was going to the old folks' home, telling them about Jesus. I was, I was volunteering at the local community college, telling them about Jesus. Anyone I could find, I could say, that's my king, that's my king. There's also been periods in my life where I've felt cold and indifferent toward Jesus been times in my life where he felt distant and irrelevant. There have been times where I've questioned, why would you let me or loved ones in my life go through these hurts that we're experiencing? Or, or why have I been caught in the same sin for so long? Where is my king? But right there at the age of six, in that station wagon, I could declare not just that he was a king, that he was my king. And back in Colossians 1, when we said he reconciled the whole world back to God through his work on the cross, he then takes the next verse and makes it super personal for me. Look at what happened to me at that bank drive-through window. Verse 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. 
That little sinful six-year-old, don't be deceived by the beautiful smile. You, got, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Verse 22, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. He's talking right there to me. He says, you know what my king did for me at the age of six in the back of my parents' station wagon? He raised me from the dead. He declared me holy and blameless in his sight without a single fault. Not because I didn't have a fault. I got fault for days. But because he had died for me and given me his perfect life, given me his perfect standing with God, I was one lucky little six-year-old. And today, I am one lucky 35-year-old. You see, that's my king. My king is alive. My king paid for my sins. My king is risen indeed. My king is supreme over all of the universe. My king is better than anyone else's king. My king is higher than King Richard, King Louis. He's higher than King Tut. My king is the king of Martin Luther King Jr. He's the king of King Kong. He's the king of the Burger King. My king is the greatest king in all the world that has ever existed. And my king came down to this world in the most upside-down way imaginable. He didn't come on a white horse. That's part two. He didn't come in a presidential motorcade with lights and parade and confetti. My king came when nobody else saw him coming. He showed up in an animal food trough. Philippians 2 talks about the way my king came to this earth. Look at what it says. Though he was God, he was supreme, right? He was the king. He is the king. But he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He gave it up. Verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He left, my king left his throne. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he came down to be with us. And look at what it says. Why did he come in verse 8? He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. See, my king didn't force himself on other people. My king became the least of all. My king became the most humble servant. My king became a lowly carpenter. Isaiah says my king wasn't much to look at physically. My king conquered, but not by taking the lives of others, by laying down his life for others. That my king found victory through defeat. That my king found victory through death on the cross. That, that my king was lifted higher than anyone by being brought lower than anyone into the grave. And, and my king, my king received all glory by bearing all shame. Verse 9, he says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. The king of kings. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's my king. That's my king. That's my king. And my king willingly put himself on an altar. To the altar in the Old Testament was this place where living sacrifices were placed in, in the place of the sinner. It was the touch point. It represented the meeting place between God and man. Because, but because God is holy and we as sinners are completely unholy, we couldn't put ourselves on the altar. We were, we were not an acceptable gift to God because of our sin. 
And so in the Old Testament, symbolically, these lambs or goats or doves, we put on an altar offered to him in our place. But this, this lamb, this had to be without blemish. Couldn't have broken bones, couldn't have defects, couldn't have like three eyeballs. God's like, Ugh. Had to be perfect. Jesus was the only life that could be placed on the altar that God would accept. He, he was the only possible place where, where God and man could reconcile the perfect, holy Lamb of God, the touch point between us and our holy maker. So the question is, will you come to this place? See, my king, my king was crowned with a, with a crown of thorns. My king was enthroned, lifted high, and put up on a cross, giving his life so we could meet with God. And now he invites us. He invites us onto this altar with him. This place where God will meet you. Here's the beautiful truth about my king. He meets us in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our regrets. Forgiveness purchased by my king's blood and his life. And now he invites us to place ourselves on the altar with him. The touch point between God and man. Will you come to the altar? We want to sing this song together. It's a question. Will we join him with Jesus in his righteousness on this altar, the meeting place between God and man? Let's, let's stand and sing this song together. I'm going to take us on a trip back in time to the original Easter Sunday. Set the scene, the stone's been rolled away and Jesus is gone. Now, we know the story, right? Spoiler alerts abound. We've read the Bible. We, we know that three days later, Jesus rises from the grave. But Mary, Mary not, not his mother, Mary Magdalene, she comes to the, this empty tomb and Jesus is gone. Now you imagine, put yourself in Mary's shoes. Three days, she doesn't know where her king is. She thinks that this Messiah, her, her personal Lord and Savior, is dead. And there's this despair, and there's this confusion. She doesn't know the end of the story like you and I know the end of the story. So she walks to this tomb, and he's not there. And she, she's, she's in all sorts of freak-out mode. And look, at we pick, it up, we pick up the story there in verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stopped and she looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. Mary, Jesus said. Now, now notice what he doesn't say here. Yo, girl. Doesn't say woman. Doesn't say um, Miss Magdalene. Says Mary. Jesus knows Mary intimately by name, and he calls her by name. And it's in this moment that everything changes. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means it's Hebrew for teacher. It tells us. Jesus knows Mary. Mary knows Jesus. And when she sees him, when she recognizes him for who he is, she cries out, that's my king, rabbi, teacher. Now, when we, she says teacher, this is not teacher like we know today, where you're going to school, you're with your teacher for a few hours. The idea of a rabbi was more of a mentor. Uh, it was more of an apprenticeship. That for three years, Mary did life with Jesus as one of his disciples. Everywhere that he went, she went. Everything he did, she was right there by his side. And it's actually, it says in, in Jewish literature that, that they would be, it says, powder thyself in the dust of their feet. That you would follow the rabbi so closely that as he's walking, as you're following him wherever he goes, the very dust from his sandal is powdered and caked all over your face. Mary knew her king. She had an intimate relationship 
with Jesus. Now what happens next? Verse 17. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and, and to your God. He says, I need you to go tell people about me. I need you to go tell everyone you see. And so verse 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them this message. She obeys her king. She goes and tells others. He's alive and he's going back to see the father. She says, that's my king. My king is alive. And then she turns to the disciples and says, do you know him? Do you know him? And we fast forward to this point in time, 2,000 Easter Sundays later. And we ask the same question. So we're standing here celebrating Easter Sunday. My king is alive. Do you know him? Do you know him? But let me, let me be more specific about that question. You see, in the Spanish language, follow me here, there are two words for to know. There's saber and there's conocer. All right? So repeat after me. Saber and conocer. Muy bien. Now, saber means to know facts. Okay? So in, in, to know about something. So like I know today is Easter Sunday. I saber that, right? I know because it's my, this pastor's Super Bowl, right? I have to know that. Easter Sunday. I know as a fact that Miracle Whip is better than mayonnaise. Now I know I'm in the minority on this one, but I'm right. I'm sorry that I like flavor. <laughs> Moving on. The word conocer, it means to know personally, as in a relationship. So you see the difference. One means to know facts about, the other one means to know personally. Now, it's vital, it is vital that we, that we saber Jesus. We need to know the facts about him. As we said earlier, we can't worship a God of our own design. The Jesus that we're worshiping must be the Jesus that God says he is in his written word. So we do need to saber him. But knowing about Jesus does not save me. Knowing about Jesus doesn't raise me from the dead. My, my question to us this morning is, do you conocer him? Do, do, you, do you have a personal relationship with this Jesus? And we said a couple weeks ago, there's a big difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. So again, let's, let's, let's uh, put her back up here. That's my fiance. <laughs> now, it's good that I saber her, that I know about her. Like, it's important that I know who she is, right? If there's a lineup of women that I can pick her out of a lineup, that's probably important. That's not my fiancé. That's, that's my fiancé, right? That's important. It's important that I know about her background, that I know I court-viewed her. Don't worry. She's not a serial killer, one of my weird non-negotiables, right? I know things about her, and, and I, know, I know her likes and don't likes. I'm honing my jello cake skills so I can make that for her. I'm learning about ducks, right? I'm learning all sorts of things that she's into. But if I just know her, if I just saw bad her, and I don't have a relationship with her, if I'm not spending time with her, if I'm not listening to her, serving her, canoodling with her, it won't be much of a marriage from what I hear. Mary knew Jesus. Now, it's important that she saw bad him, that she knew that he was the Messiah, the King, that she knew the truth about who Jesus was. But Mary didn't just know about Jesus, she knew Jesus, she was covered in the dust of his rabbi sandals. In John 17, when Jesus is in the garden, he's praying to his father. And he says these words, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, eternal life here is not defined by quantity of life. Every soul will live forever. Eternal life is defined by the quality of life. And he says the quality of life, the kind of life that is eternal, 
that is life-giving, is the one that knows the Father. But the word he uses here in Greek is not saber. It's the konoser. It's, it's the Greek word gnosko. It's a, the Greek word gnosko means a relation between the person knowing and the object or person known. In this respect, what is known of, it, what, is, what is known is a value or importance to the one who knows and hence the establishment of a relationship. He says eternal life is to know, not just know about God, but to know, to be invited into a personal relationship with him. That's life. Another time that Jesus was talking, he calls us into this kind of relationship. In Matthew chapter 13, he says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven, where I dwell, the king in his kingdom, it's like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He says, this is what I'm like for you, that you would be entered into a relationship with me, that you value over everything else, that you'd be willing to sell it all to have me, to know me as your Lord and Savior and God. So one more time, and I'll, I've met my fiance picture quota for the morning. I'm getting married in 48 days. That's a long 48 days. It is a hard to wait, buddy. And there are days when I think I would sell anything just to be with Jill. I'd sell my house. I am selling my house. I'd sell my siblings in a heartbeat. Are you kidding me? <laughs> They're not here. Um, why aren't they here? No. Um, I could say, you could take it all. You can have it all. This is all that I want. And Jesus says, that's what I'm inviting you into. They say, you can have the world. Just give me Jesus. Just give me. He's all that I want. He's all that I need. Do we value him above all else? So the question is, do you know him? Do you know him? Not just do you saber him. Not just do you know about him. But do you gnosko? Do you conocer? Do you know him in relationship? Not just as a ticket to get to heaven. He is not just a divine stub hub. This is not just fire insurance. What he's inviting us into is to know him as savior as Lord, to know him as the most valuable treasure, the pearl of great price. This is what he calls us into. You know the words in Luke chapter 9. He says, he said to all, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. He places himself on the altar. He dies to everything that was sinful and wrong about him and take up his cross daily and follow me. You got to go my way now. Verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? He says, if you try to hang on to your life, if you say, I'm doing it my way, he says, you're going to lose it all. Listen, I could have the greatest spouse imaginable. I could have a nice home. I could have obedient kids just like yours. I could have a great retirement package. But if I don't know Jesus, none of that will save me. None of that will satisfy me. None of that can offer me life. But he says, if I know, if you know me, if you know the risen Jesus, in him I can find satisfaction, in him I can find life, in him I can find hope and rescue from despair and loneliness and brokenness and the penalty of my sin. Life out of death. If I put myself on the altar with him, he says, you lose your life, you give your life up, you give it to me, and you're going to find life. And I'm invited into this meeting place with God where I find a right relationship, a loving, healthy relationship with him. And that's the only place that I can find healthy, loving, right relationship with others either. You see, 
We've been invited into this relationship with Jesus that through him we'll find beauty and purpose in everything else in our lives. Without Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing else can be beautiful. But with Jesus, through Jesus, we can find purpose and beauty in everything else. And everything else can matter. This is what he means when he reconciles all things through himself. So the, the, the call today is to follow him, to powder yourself in your rabbi's sandals. To, to depend on him like the air you breathe, for him to be your king, for you to delight in him, for you to light up like a newlywed and count down those days until he comes back for us, his bride. To find him to be his, our all in all, to conocer him, to gnosko him, to know him. My king is alive. My king is alive. You realize that's the only reason we can have a relationship with him today? If he's a dead king, if he's a dead God, we cannot have a relationship with him. But the fact that he lives today in human body, I don't know where, but he's alive and he's here today with us and we can have a relationship with him. Amen? Amen. No longer in sin and death and shame. Through him, we are reunited with our God and we can conocer our Father. He is risen. That's my king. Do you know him? We're going to sing this song together that declares this Jesus, what he did, and we praise him for what he's done. The reality of him being alive is the most important fact that we could ever not just know about, but be invited into know in relationship. He is risen. <laughs> you can have a seat. That's, that's my king. Is it your king? Do you know him? Do you know him? Let's pray to our king together. Father, we thank you so much. We celebrate this morning that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, that you loved us so much. And in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, you sent Jesus to this earth that the king would leave his throne in heaven with you where he had it all. He emptied himself to become nothing, to be the lamb of God, to be placed on that altar, to die in our place, for that to be the touch point, the meeting place with you, Father, so that you can now hear this very prayer that I'm offering to you. And there's anyone in this room that doesn't know that story, that doesn't believe, that, that maybe even, maybe saber it, they, may, they know about it, but they haven't entered in to know this Jesus that died for them. That today, we're not guaranteed another Easter Sunday. They might be invited into that meeting place today to know you, to follow you as Lord and Savior. But the beautiful truth, Lord, is you didn't stay in the grave. You rose again. And because you live, we have hope. Because you live, we can face tomorrow. And we can face the heartache and the pain that's to come. Just like you endured the cross. Now, you in us, we can endure. And we know that death does not have the final answer anymore. You defeated death. You defeated the grave. You defeated sin and shame. And through the risen Jesus, we can, can too be risen to a new life. A relationship with you. Because we know who holds the future. And now this life, this eternal life in knowing your son is worth the living because he lives. Because my king lives. It's in his risen, victorious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with me as we sing. We're going we're gonna to party here in a second, but stand up with me if you would. I, I want to sing this song, the because he lives. The, the realities that we claim today. Because he's alive. Sing this with me. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because 
because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living just because He lives. Because He lives. Because He ran out of that grave. So can I. I can. When he calls, when he said Mary, and she knew her king, he called, he said, Justin. And he called your name. And when he calls your name, you can run out of the grave with him. Let's end with a party, amen? Let's party. Jesus is alive.